Welcome to episode number 17 of Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you find a career you love, start a business, and generally crush it at life. I'm Justin Gordon, your host and an MBA student in the class of 2020 at the USC Marshall School of Business. I've had my hand in entrepreneurship and business since 2012 when I launched Just Go Fitness, and now with Just Go Grind. In this episode of the podcast, we have on Stacey Sussman, who is the founder of SSR Digital Group. She's based in New York City and has 15 years of experience in sales and and just knows a ton. She's worked for some massive companies. Most recently, working for Elite Daily and Daily Mail. Actually, Elite Daily got bought by Daily Mail, so she worked at both. Tons of experience in partnerships. We go over all of that discuss kind of her career path and how she's decided to move from one position to the next, ultimately deciding to transition into her own company. And we go through that experience as well, what's been like growing her company, types of businesses she's working with, and what she's kind of plans for the future. Go through a lot of different things in this episode. Anyone interested in sales or advertising or partnerships or how someone navigates a career and changes as the environment changes or interested in starting a business, this is the episode for you. The show notes for this episode of the podcast are at justgogrind.com slash podcast, as are the show notes for all previous episodes. You can support the show through patreon.com slash justgogrind, different donation levels. And if you would please leave a rating and review in iTunes, takes all of a few seconds. It does help the show grow. Also, one last thing, do you want to apologize for a little audio issue we had? And so the last 20 minutes has some, it's not as good, but we tried to make it work and still has some great content to it. With that being said, Hope you enjoyed this episode of Just Go Grind. Stacy, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me today. I'm excited to get this chat started. I know we got connected because you saw a post in Dreamers and Doers. I'm curious as to like when did you hear about them and join Dreamers and Doers? Dreamers and Doers has been a gift um, to <laughs> me and um, to all women. Sorry, you can't join. It's for women uh, only. <laughs> um, but it is an incredible community. And um, funny enough, I actually know some folks in the Dreamers community. And I feel like it's kind of like this best kept secret that no one wants to talk about, but everyone should know about. Um, so I actually was figuring out from a career perspective, um, kind of like what I wanted to do next and where I wanted to take my career. And um, a former colleague and mentor had mentioned to me this book by um, Susie Moore, and it's called What If It Does Work Out? So it's kind of like everyone always says they can't do it and you hem and haw because it's too hard, you don't know where to start, etc. And at the end of the book, um, there was a resource that mentioned some like networking communities and Dreamers was one of them. And so I looked it up and there's a free version and then there's a paid membership. Um, And so I started with the free version. I was like, oh my God, this is amazing. And then there were some comments that like, if you think this is great, the paid version is better. (laughs) Of course. So you have to apply. Um, It's not a college application, but it is a thoughtful, um, short essays that you have to answer. 
And I got accepted in May. Um, and the opportunities I've been afforded and the people that I've been meeting and the events that I've attended have just been incredible. So big shout out to Asia <laughs> who has started the community and the community in general because it's so it's so badass. Yeah, and that's what I've heard from different people I've interviewed who are in that community. It just seems like such a powerful, powerful thing to be a part of, to have that support and have people who actually like will help you or will have conversations. And and you're based in New York City, right? Correct. Yes, I am in New York City. And that is the that's where like the hub of it is, yeah, isn't that? Exactly. Aisha yeah, so. started this out of um, a personal need that she was a woman in the tech community. And she would look around the room and realize she was standing with about 95 to 98% men. And so she started it um, as a personal need of just getting other women in the tech industry interested in meeting up and supporting each other. And it has just skyrocketed and evolved since then. Awesome. And even getting to New York City. So you went to Michigan for your undergrad. Did you know... Like you wanted to go to New York City or how did that even happen for you? Yes, um, I did go to University of Michigan. Go Blue. Shout out to any alum fans. <laughs> um, I was actually, I wanted to go to a um, academic school. I wanted to go to a big rah-rah school in the collegiate sports. Um, and I wanted sort of like a campus life. So Michigan, along with other Big Ten schools that I applied to, kind of checked the box. And then um, academically, uh, Michigan just has uh, really superior academics and a diverse student body. And so I went to Michigan, um, and then I always knew I was going to come back to New York. Uh, a lot of folks in Michigan, it's that you're from, most obviously majorities from Michigan because it's a big in-state school, but then the folks that are out of state are kind of pocketed, I would say, to like international, California, Chicago area, New York, and there's a Florida, uh, Miami contingency. So uh, my family's rooted here. So I always okay. knew that I would get back to New York City just for proximity to family and friends. From Michigan, you know you wanted to come back to New York City, so I assume then you were looking more so at positions in New York City, and you started at Condé Nast, is that correct? Yes, correct. The devil. So how did you get that? A lot of time. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I wanted to actually go into fashion, so I majored in communications, um, and I knew I wanted to be in sort of like the marketing and advertising side of things, like more the commercial side of the business than the editorial side of the business. Um, so I really wanted to go into fashion. Um, the summer before, uh, my senior year at college, I interviewed at Donna Karen and loved the brand, but I spent a lot of my summer cleaning out a closet. Um, <laughs> and I just didn't know if fashion was for me. I loved fashion, but um, I wasn't technical or didn't really have like a design skill. I was looking at um, other big notable retail brands where I'd be a buyer that incorporated more like mathematics into it. But um, advertising seemed to me like the perfect intersection between um, being creative, using your brain from a mathematics standpoint, and then having those interpersonal people relationships. So um, I ended up going into publishing, so traditional publishing, which 
when I graduated college was magazines. Um, and I did work um, in four Times Square. The movie Devil Wears Prada was fil- loosely filmed there. It's based off of Anna Wintour, who is a fashion icon. And um, there's a lot of stories in the movie and the book that were uh, paralleled what was actually going on um, in the organization <laughs> at the time. So there's a lot of innuendos, and they're actually based off of real people that were in the organization at the time. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's crazy. So, so even so, you obviously said fashion was the main interest. So, you want to get involved in that somehow. And then you did traditional publishing. I mean, looking at the resume, it's just so many different big companies you've worked for. How did you choose which ones to even to, to work for, to apply at? I'm just curious on that, too. Sure. Yeah. I mean, my first job out of college, um, really, it was being able to know someone within the larger corporation. So it's great. You have, you just went to an accredited university. The university has superior credentials. You have this great degree. You've learned all this stuff, but you don't really have that much like real world um, <laughs> career experience. So yeah. you come out of college and you're like, oh my gosh, what do I do now? So, I mean, it really all comes down to networking at the end of the day. I mean, I blindly applied and had tons of interviews, but the way I really landed my first job was through knowing someone within the organization. And then they were able to bring me in and then um, actually end up working um, on that team. So it was like a great um, step in the door, but it's hard these days to apply blindly unless, you know, you don't know somebody, but um, you know, it, it could happen. You never know. Yeah, and applying blindly is by no means the best strategy. And they, they, they I even heard recently because I listen to different podcasts and read books and things on the career space because uh, I have a very big interest in it. And they say like there's 80% of jobs aren't even posted online. So like there's even more jobs that are available that you would only hear about through networking or through knowing someone at a different company, um, which is just mind-blowing if that's actually accurate. Yeah. <laughs> like how many positions aren't even available? And then the ones that are available – there are so many resumes. I heard someone recently mention they had, I think, applied to like 300 jobs in a few months and gotten like two interviews, like some crazy stat like that. Yeah. So it's nuts that it's so important to to network. And you mentioned that's how you got your first role, right? Mm-hmm. It, and then moving on to like other positions you've had, was it the same type of thing? Was it still that networking type of thing that got you the next role? Like you were at Rodell and then New York media and all these different places. Like, was it networking mostly? Yeah. So a lot of it was networking. I mean, so like baseline, I would say coming out of college, I would definitely have a robust LinkedIn profile. I would make sure you have a headshot up there. Um, It would be great if you have like recommendations um, of folks that you've worked for, even if you don't think it's this huge corporate opportunity. I think just um, other people vouching for you from a professional perspective is so important. If you don't have um, a ton of a big network and if you also don't have like a lot of people that you know can connect you I think these are easy things you can achieve to help build your presence and then um, the Rodale into uh, the Rodale job um, I actually I think that was a blind job so I got that one sort of blindly I, and but it was really based on experience at that point so my experience from my first job at Condé Nast was able to parlay me to the next job um, at Rodale. And then from 
the job at Rodale, I would say almost every job after that was networking or as I got more senior in my career, um, recruiters would start actively seeking me out based on the skill sets that I had. Okay. And when you said networking, was that just with people within the organization then who knew other people at other organizations or what did that look like? So at the beginning, it's like asking anyone you know to find (laughs) someone within an organization, family, friend, parents, friends, old counselors, old boss that you worked for at like a small local shop, just asking someone to connect you. I even feel like now in my career, like just that warm introduction from someone loosely is just so much better than you just blindly reaching out to the person. And then I think there's organizations and events that you can attend where you can start to forge relationships with other people. Now I join organizations that have kind of interests and passion points that I'm interested in and want to give my time back to. And then even from um, an alumni association, I mean, Michigan has a very strong footprint here in New York City. So just even connecting with other alumni, even if you didn't know them, they even would be willing to like have a coffee with you or have a conversation with you just from the commonality as you went to the same university together. As you like early on in your career, knowing that you want to be in fashion and you have a, a few different um, different types of positions, how did you make decisions on the career path? So for instance, like you were at Condé Nast like a little over a year and then moved on. Like, But how did you decide, oh, it's time to move on to something different? Was it just not for you? Did you just want something else? I'm curious to remember early on in your career. Yeah, so I was um, I started my career in the sales department. Um, I was an assistant, my first job out of school, Conde. And it's funny, I'm still friends with the women that I started my early career with. And I'm the only one that has since gone into sales. Everyone else kind of <laughs> diversified and went more like a more of a marketing route. So I felt like I was fortunate enough that I was in a department and then I ended up loving that sort of career path and stayed in that career path. Whereas your first job, you might end up in a role where it's necessarily not for you. And then you sort of like pivot and move. So I ended up um, begging and pleading and asking to be a junior seller because I really wanted to go into sales. And I basically was helping um, more senior sellers run pieces of their business in a variety of different categories. And um, kind of the point, inflection point where I realized I had to leave is they were going to make me um, a junior seller and carve out this new role for us. But we merged um, and bought another publication. And with that, um, they had to inherit an entire staff. And so there really wasn't room for them at that point to create a new role for me. So at that point, I felt like that my growth at that company and that specific role, there wasn't really growth opportunity. And that's when I had to look to leave and move kind of outside the organization. Gotcha. And for sales in general, like what was it about sales that you were drawn to? I love that every day is different and it's very challenging. But when you sell the deal and you sign on the dotted line and the negotiations finished. I love kind of the reward and achievement of feeling that you cultivated the relationship, you made it happen and you kind of got it done at the end of the day. 
Also, I'm a people person. I love having the opportunity to sit in on different meetings. I love the opportunity to meet with tons of different people, get into tons of different companies. And as I was a seller, I actually ended up calling on categories that were specific to fashion, beauty, and CPG. So sort of that convergence of that love for fashion, I ended up um, LVMH was my client, Gucci was my client, Prada was my client. I ended up going to Bryant Park fashion shows through my job being a seller because I was very entrenched within the category in the industry. Wow. And what do you think with that? What made you, I guess, successful in that role or what, what helped you perform well in that sales type of role? I mean, there was no, there was mentors along the way, which I am still dear friends with today, but I don't feel like there was such formal training. You kind of were a little bit like thrown into the fire of it (laughs) and had to figure out or graciously ask for help or um, ask, find a mentor and hope that they kind of would give you great advice. And I think you it's a personality thing. I think certain people are more positioned for sales than others. I think um, you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. You have to be comfortable um, pitching, presenting. Um, I get the answer no more times than <laughs> I get the answer yes. So I feel like just to be kind of comfortable with that uncertainty um, works and also determined. So you can't let someone tell you no 17 times and then the 18th time you get a guess because maybe the average person gives up on time two or three. I just yeah. I always have the perseverance to kind of take every isolate every day and say, okay, this was a great day. Okay, this was not a, such a great day, but kind of get back on that saddle and do it all over again and have the perseverance to keep trudging forward. You know, and and with that, how like you said, keep trudging forward, and you have to keep going. But like, how do you deal with dealing with those re- those rejections where you get all of those no's and keep going? Like, what is is it just like? All right, new day, like mindset. Do you like? Is it reading anything? Is it just having that mentality constantly? Like, what is it? Because I'm sure, obviously, everyone fails at something, and especially in sales, you're going to fail a lot. But what is it that you do when you fail that keeps you going? I guess. I think there's um, there's the tangible item. So it's one is, okay, today was a great day. I closed a multi-million dollar deal. I'm so happy you're in sales. You make a commission off of that. Greatest day ever. But I think there's a lot of tactical items that you can do to move the business forward that don't translate into sales at that moment, but will translate into sales eventually. So that's with the networking, that's getting involved in organizations, that's having meetings, that's entertaining clients. So there's all these other tactical items where you can send out thoughtful follow-ups, you can share pieces of content, you can share case studies that we were doing with like competitive brands. So all of those things, although they might not be the sale today, would lead you to forming this great relationship to eventually scoring the deal at some point. Gotcha. Yeah, that's got to be, <laughs> it's got to be fun because like it's exciting. You have the commissions you have every day is different, like you mentioned. Um, but yeah, definitely pressure in terms of meeting those 
quotas or whatever you may have on a day-to-day basis, I'm sure. Yes, high stakes. It's definitely high stakes. <laughs> um, yes. You had, a, you had a, like you said, we had a yearly quota, we had quarterly quotas, we had... We broke it down monthly. Some organizations, we broke it down weekly. So every day you were so focused on the numbers. Um, so there definitely was that kind of pressure hanging over your head um, just because you wanted to succeed and you're human, right? Right. And have, throughout your career, you've worked for, like I mentioned earlier, like a lot of big companies. Pros and cons that I'm sure for someone who maybe hasn't worked in a large company, like what is it like? What What are the the best parts of working for a big company and what are maybe some of the downfalls, I guess, of that? Yeah, I think early, I mean, I think the landscape has changed dramatically since I've graduated, but I think from um, a big corporation, right? You have foundation, you have stability, you have processes in place, you have great health insurance, you have mentors and bosses that have incredible decades of experience that maybe at a smaller organization you wouldn't really get access to. And also if you're just starting out in your career, some of these bigger organizations have a lot of junior roles and then they might even have like a program that you can be placed in where you can connect with other folks that are more senior and then other folks that are also starting out their career. So I think maybe more of that process and to growing your career could be really great. As I got further in my career and I learned those things over time from various different jobs, organizations, bosses, et cetera, I felt confident enough in my own skill set that I can do it on my own and I can kind of like run my own ship and build these networking relationships and forge these deals by myself. Whereas when I was just starting out, I I felt like I needed a little bit more like handholding to have the confidence to do it. Gotcha. You mentioned early on that you were in, you were in those sales different roles. I know later on you were in more of like partnership positions, like director of partnership or brand partnerships. What does that entail exactly having those partnership positions? Yeah, I think uh, the title of sales has like morphed into partnerships because I think um, at the beginning of my career, we were selling one thing. And then now kind of how the marketplace and the landscape is, a lot of companies are offering you a variety of different options that you can buy into. So I think from a partnership perspective, first of all, it sounds a little less threatening than, oh, I'm going to <laughs> sell you something. Whereas partner is like we're coming together to co-collaborate on something, even though you're probably going to pay me a high value ticket for this co-creation. But it makes it feel like we're each bringing um, something to the table. So you have a marketing KPI, an objective, a goal. And at the end of the day, we can solve for that goal, but maybe we can solve for that goal in a variety of different ways. And maybe there was opportunities where we can solve for the goal three different ways. And then those were three different revenue streams that I was able to bring back into the organization. Gotcha. That makes sense. And then with with those partnership roles and everything. More recently, you were at Daily Mail and Elite Daily, which obviously got acquired by um, Daily Mail acquired Elite Daily. What was it like working at those companies? Those are massive publishers. And just from like a consumer perspective, I always remember like reading different articles on there and was like, God, they put out so much content. 
what was it like working for those those companies? Yeah, Daily Mail was beyond exciting. It was a, a highlight. <laughs> um, I started when there were five people in the U.S. So huge organization in the U.K. Uh, footprint in Ireland. People, some people love it, some people hate it, but that's okay because <laughs> everyone sort of knew about it. My first day um, at Daily Mail, I came in. There was one other seller. Um, he was from London, so they brought him over from London to help expand the U.S. efforts. We had a VP of sales, a C, uh, CRO, myself, and this other guy from London who had worked with the mail for about two-plus years. We went into our first meeting at an ad agency for AT&T as my first day, and they were like, Daily Mail, are you an email newsletter that goes to spam? Like they had never even heard about us, which was crazy because it has such a huge footprint in England. And so year one plus was this go-to-market strategy to get people excited about Daily Mail. And they didn't even understand what it was. I'm like, we're sort of like the New York Times and the Post come together, but we're better. And we put out so much more content and so much more velocity to our speed of content. And it took over a year to really educate the marketplace as to what we've become. And now, I mean, they're super successful. They have a TV show. Um, They're even more global. They have offices now in Australia too, around the world. Um, The types of content they're putting out, like I said, some people love and some people hate, but constant velocity. And that's really what made them different. If you go to dailymail.com, you check out their homepage at 9, 12, and 3, the homepage is going to look completely different because they're just putting out (laughs) so much content. They're basically always on globally. We think we found there was like four hours in the day and 24-hour period where folks could be sleeping, but they're just churning out so much content and they're turning out global content, and then the IP address knows that you're here in the U.S., so the content in the U.S. is optimized um, for news here in the U.S. How do they do that? Is it just a matter of they just had to keep growing staff to write that many different stories and articles a day? I mean, it, it is a massive undertaking. Just I think I saw on your LinkedIn it was like over a 1,000 stories a day or something. Like That's some ridiculous number. Yeah. Like, like how do they do that? <laughs> they're churning out a lot of content. They have a big editorial staff. I mean, they have a global staff and then within every dedicated market here in the U.S., they're um, down on Astor Place. They have a dedicated staff and they're just constantly churning out stories. Um, they write stories. They do social listening where they listen to what's happening kind of on Facebook and Twitter and all the other platforms to see what's happening. And then they also have a team that breaks exclusive stories. So that's probably more like long-term um, projects. But it was so interesting to see. I mean, Daily Mail definitely had like a hand in the election. I feel like they help break um, some of these like Anthony Weiner stories like right ahead of the election. So it was so interesting to see it grow from five people to probably 200 plus people in the U.S. <laughs> and then it was also so interesting to see how the news that they put out um, really kind of could affect the political and societal landscape too. So it was really um, right. interesting organization to be at. And then from a 
sales and marketing perspective just to go from no one knowing about us to education to um, big brands like Macy's buying into them and then seeing kind of that trickle effect of other big Fortune 500 brands come in. It was just an exciting rocket ship. And then in um, year two, two to three, they bought Elite Daily to focus more on that like millennial audience. So they were separate entities, but kind of converging under the same commercial umbrella. And with that, we had more opportunities to do more social partnerships. They were video doing videos. They were doing documentaries at the time, one of the Times I was there, they won a local Emmy for some of the videos that they shot. So they brought a different lens to news. Um, and it was definitely kind of like a younger audience that they were trying to reach. Yeah, and I think a lot of people in that generation definitely know of Elite Daily. I mean, it's it's pretty pretty well known, obviously. At your your position at the, like that company specifically, like what was your day-to-day like? So for someone wondering, you know, they want to get maybe into a partnerships or sales type of role. Like what does the day-to-day, obviously this is like later in your career, you were working in there, but what is the day-to-day like? What does that look like for you? Yeah. I mean, so like I said, you're accountable and held to numbers. So really everything you need to do would be to drive revenue. So I would take time aside to work on deals that were pending. I would check in with marketing and project management to see what deals are happening and kind of the status of the deals. Are we delivering on what um, the client's expectations are? And if there's any hurdles or fires, what can I help to put them out? Or who did I need to call to kind of like make things happen? I was also um, out in the marketplace, so New York City and beyond, calling on different ad agencies and calling on different clients. Um, So kind of running around New York City, pitching um, the brand, pitching our partnerships, pitching what our offers look like, and trying to get um, more people interested. And then um, in sales, there's kind of a formal proposal process. Uh, It's called an RFP. It's a request for a proposal where once the client is interested and they want to talk to you further, they have their ad agency or the client directly would send to you kind of this formal document that you would need to fill out to tell them a little bit more about your demographics, what the partnership looks like. And then there you have the opportunity to put pricing against um, every line item that your partnership would be about. So I'd say no day is the same But I would say you're always doing something, whether it's the physical work, the networking, the pitching, um, managing to your boss, managing to your CRO, that um, is a constant, but no day is the exact same. So you've worked at all these large companies and in a different, a lot of different positions actually, and had a ton of different experience. I know one of the things mentioned, I think it was on your LinkedIn, was you managed over $35 million in digital media campaigns for companies, all different companies. But how then did you transition into wanting to do your own company with SSR Digital Group? How did that happen? Yeah. So I think... Um The industry has changed a lot. So when I first started out at my job at Condé Nast, to me, there was a very traditional trajectory of growth as to where you go. You were an assistant, then you maybe were kind of a coordinator. You became a seller. 
you became a better seller, you became the best seller. And then at some point, you were afforded the opportunity to run a team of sellers, you were sort of like a director. And then you kind of would grow from there from a managerial standpoint. That traditional career path, I don't think really exists anymore. There are um, growth opportunities at all different organizations. But I think um, millennials are definitely challenging the status quo of what they want to do and what they don't want to do, which I think is a good and bad thing. And I think people are accelerating their careers um, faster. I think you had to be at cer- in certain positions for a certain amount of years in order for you to grow and, I, and get to those next levels and those achievements. And now if you look at kind of like the 30 under 30 list and the 40 under 40 list, there are just such high achieving talent that are getting there just so much faster. And I think that's because these people are super talented and they're also challenging the status quo is, oh, I don't need 25 years of experience to run this team. I might know more than them or I might know less, but you know, some companies will give you a shot and some won't. So um, the moment, defining moment was one, this kind of traditional career path I don't think really exists anymore. To um, I started looking around the room and seeing kind of a lot of who the mentors were and who you always like want to aspire to be someone. So it's like, oh, that person's the CRO. Um, Let's think about who that person is. Um, What does their professional life look like? How did they get there? And then kind of like what their personal life, how did they get there? So a lot of the folks I looked at when I started looking at the organization were men And there weren't as many kind of women that were in these top positions. So it got me thinking. Um, I also had a child. I have an awesome three-year-old daughter. And kind of that moment when I had my daughter, I left the corporate world to go on maternity leave, which I was so grateful for, and then come back. My world, professional world had stayed the same, yet my perspective personally and professionally had changed. And I think that was 2015. So I feel like I had been working for a long time, but um, my perspective guess, on the world from a professional standpoint had just changed by bringing in this tiny human into the world. So that is when I set out to figure out how I wanted to lead a robust career, also be a professional, be a hard worker, and kind of see where that took me. And it took me a while, a good three years, to kind of come up with the guts and the courage and the planning to really map out to starting my own consultancy firm. But I think that major life change and starting to look around the room and say, oh, I want to be like Justin or, oh, I want to be like Mike. And I was like, but do I want to be like them? I'm not not really sure. And if I didn't want to be like them, what were the things that I wanted to do for myself um, professionally? And how can I carve out a path for that? Yeah. And what exactly does your consultancy do? So we are a sales and digital marketing consultancy firm. So simply put, we help companies grow revenue. We're working with early um, and mid-stage startups to help them grow revenue. And what 
I've learned um, taking my corporate experience and kind of parlaying it into this consultancy is that one, I have a wealth of knowledge that I can share, which is amazing because I think to continue to teach and learn and grow is just an amazing thing to have in a career. And then two, um, I have a lot of complex deal negotiations, complex skill sets and sophisticated skill sets. But some of the companies that I'm working with might not be at a stage where they need to know all of those things. So I think for me, it's been a learning lesson to kind of bring it back to kind of like sales 101, building out a team, growing a pipeline, bringing in talent some of these fundamental principles, fundamental principles that I realize come innately and naturally to me, I'm realizing that um, a lot of companies don't know. And so some of these um, entrepreneurial and startup companies, they have a mentality, which I think is so amazing in business, that they know what they know, but they don't know what they don't know. And they're willing to bring in talent to do the things they don't know. So what have you been doing to grow this company that you launched? So it's definitely amazing starting your own company. You have (laughs) an idea. You Hopefully I've mapped it out. I talked through it. I thought about what this looks like. But obviously people need to know about you and people need to know kind of the services that you offer. And for us specifically, when you're um, growing revenue for companies, there's a lot of different customizations that we can do for companies. Some companies want to build out a team. Some companies need to build out a process. Some companies need more help with presentations and pitching skills. So I think Um, By growing the revenue, there's a variety of different um, services that you can offer under kind of that umbrella. And the status and the health of the revenue will obviously dictate what kind of services that I'm going to be offering to them. So a lot of it is networking. Again, fundamental principles that we talked about, kind of getting your first job is reaching out to folks and making sure that they know that I've gone out on my own and I have my own consultancy firm. It's great to reach out, again, same principles to warm leads. So contacts that are former bosses, superiors, colleagues, friends in the industry that could potentially hire me or recommend my services to one of their clients or to one of their friends that also owns um, a business and that would be looking to talk to me. Joining communities like the Dreamers community um, where you're just extending your network so everyone is super entrepreneurial most of the folks either own their own business or are in high powered kind of like corporate positions so extending your network i've also gotten involved in accelerators and funds here in new york city there's a huge startup community in every city but there's a big one in new york city where um, I'm going to be mentoring and doing speaking engagements and sharing kind of like wisdom. Um, It's great because they basically take topics and they pull their um, accelerators and then you end up speaking upon the topic that they're most interested in, which I think is the best way to do it. That's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. You get the most response because they actually want to hear what you have to say. So I'm mentoring at some of these accelerators. Um, 
obviously getting picked up in press pieces and being interviewed on podcasts like your own is just always great exposure. And then making sure you have a presence on um, social, LinkedIn, Facebook, etc., to really put your company name out there and people can find you. So when helping these small and medium-sized startups, what does that process look like when you come in there and start working with them? What do you do first? And what are the few first couple of things you're doing to help them? Yeah, so I think coming in as a consultant, um, obviously I'm typically reporting into like a CEO or a founder of the company. They recognize that they need help to grow their revenue, but they're not really sure how what they need to do and how they need to do to get there. So what I love to do at first is um, immerse myself and really understand the process of how they do things. And even if, do they have a process of doing things or is it sort of just kind of, we get inbound leads and then we're just taking them um, as they come. And then trying to like formalize that process and see what that looks like. Are they using a CRM tool? Do they have some sort of database where they're logging all their potential customers or customers that they actually have now? And then are they tracking from a forecasting perspective the revenue that's coming in? Because I'm coming off of these huge, big corporations that have um, a very succinct process in place. So it's great to come in and see what types of processes they have. And if they don't have a process, I have the expertise and skill set to set a process. And it doesn't have to be so formal and so corporate, like a massive corporation like a Daily Mail, but at least for the founder to understand kind of the pipeline and the revenue that's coming in and understand some sort of cycle to the sales process. And then if they don't have um, an outreach strategy, what does the outreach strategy look like? Do they have presence on social media? Are they putting out content? Do they have any press or PR? What does their website look like? And then um, figuring out from there different industries or different contacts that we want to go after and actionably coming up with a sequential strategy to reach out to these folks. Are we touching them via phone? Are they touching them via email? Are we sending them collateral? Um, there's a lot of different um, sales tactics that you can do. Um, and a lot of these ad tech companies I'm finding like to automate a lot of that process, which I think is great because then you can get to a large quantity of customers. But then I think there's always this need and value of um, high touch point customers to customers you think could really be these big whales and win a lot of revenue from. Right. And so working with these companies, how long is that process you're working with them typically? I mean, is it like a few weeks thing? Is it a matter of months? Do you have a, you propose a certain amount of time? How does that work? Yeah, I would say definitely. Um, I like to work on a retainer basis and I basically like to come in for a minimum of a few months, roughly three months, and then um, can have long-term engagements, six months, nine months, 12 months and beyond. Um, it really, if there's a defined kind of project that we're working on and we need to take, we need to reach a thousand new customers, um, we don't know who those contacts are and we don't know what our ad offering is. 
that feels a little bit more tangible and a little more of a concrete project. But if you're building a team and building a process and building a pitch deck, um, something like that definitely takes a little bit more time because you are working with a lot of other folks within the organization. So I can come in and work um, in tandem with other folks within the organization. I can come in and bring on folks, or I can come in and help um, founders and CEOs like assess talent because I have hired um, sales teams before, so I kind of would know the types of personalities and experience that they're looking for, and then obviously, you know, it comes down to like a pricing perspective. Yeah, and these companies, like, what are the maybe one to two, like, I don't know if it's just gaps in, in their business or like the one or two things they tend to be struggling with the most exactly. So I've been working with a bunch of ad tech clients and what I find is that their tech is amazing, their dev is amazing. A lot of these folks are um, engineers, super smart and really know how to speak to the product and answer any kind of like hiccups that come up or if anything goes down, they know how to solve that very quickly. However, the person that is typically buying um, the product or buying the enterprise package or the service is not a tech person typically. So I think it's the sense of putting in like layman's terms and sort of dumbing down what the offering is because it's great that the tech works and that the product's really awesome. But really at the end of the day, when you're talking to brand managers or social media managers or marketers, there is something that keeps them up at night and you need to be able to solve that problem for them. And by reframing your pitch and your product and being able to solve for that problem, you're going to be able to feel so much quicker. Yeah, no, it makes complete sense. And that's something that seems to be the a, a disconnect at times, even like just seeing from the outside, different businesses. It's like, yeah, but who are your who are your customers and mem- remembering that they're the ones that are buying. So you got to think of in their terms, like they're where they're at in their journey and then what they actually understand from the product. It could be easy to be all technically savvy. Like it reminds me of Silicon Valley, the show, if you've ever seen it, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah like some of the things it's so high level, but not really thinking about the, the customer exactly. Um, it's very, yeah, very important. You have to think of who makes the decision at the end of the day and who can write you the check. And right. that person that can write you the check may not even be sophisticated enough to understand the tech, but if you can solve, like I said, a marketing problem for them, and then they can show to their company and their boss that they found a partner that solves for this company need, it's a win for everyone. Right, exactly. Moving forward in your, in your company, what is next for you? What are you hoping to do? Tell me more about the future of the company. exciting time. Um, I'm getting involved in some more um, accelerators like I mentioned here in New York City. So it's really interesting to see companies that are either at the even ideation standpoint, they have a great idea and they want to get it off the ground or to companies that have millions of dollars in revenue but want to accelerate that growth even more. So I think for me, it's um, finding companies that are 
doing something great, doing something that's really purpose-driven or their tech's really great and they're solving sort of some sort of like world problem or societal problem and it would be great to sort of work with some of these companies that are like um, a little more purpose-driven and then being able to take my sales skill set and kind of marrying the two and helping them to see some sort of explosive growth would be really interesting. Um, I'm also working with some other, collaborating with some other folks in the industry that were either former colleagues or other professional networking friends and kind of coupling together, bringing them under kind of an eight, my agency umbrella and working on bigger partnerships and bigger deals with companies. We can bring a wider array of services to them. I think that is really interesting. And then just really getting the name out there, SSR Digital Group, and getting more people to hear about what we do and hear about what we can offer for them. And I think this consultancy, um, bringing in consultants, is a great way for businesses to help solve problems and help overcome hurdles and really accelerate their growth. I think bigger companies were hesitant to bring in consultants in the past because um, of headcount and how does this work and what does this look like. But I think um, they're adopting this model much more and realizing that they can get better work in a more efficient time and really save money in the end of the day. I think this model um, is really going to be adopted a lot more. I think we're on the cusp of it breaking um and if i start looking around on linkedin and seeing some really savvy folks that i started my career with uh, there are incredible talent that's out there that is kind of on this consultancy model and i'm just like so proud to like be a part of it yeah it's exciting i think it seems to be going that way every every company needs help especially when you look at like having a competitive advantage in the marketplace if you have a company that is getting the like, consultants help and everything like and another company is not perhaps <laughs> like they're going to be behind and so you're always they're always trying to find that that edge somehow and a company like yours for example can help provide that because you have so much experience in the industry exactly and these smaller to mid-stage startups um might not be able to afford the talent to bring in someone with 15 years of experience, but if they can pull me in on a retainer basis and we work um, for a finite amount of time together, like I said, the growth will accelerate so much quicker than if they just hire um, junior mediocre talent because at the end of the day, they're going to still come back to, oh my God, we haven't solved this problem. Right. You know, you start you started this company. You took the jump, took the leap to do this, which is incredible. And anytime anyone starts a company, it's it, it's such an undertaking that you have to have a lot of respect for them. And I, I do for any entrepreneur. But for an aspiring entrepreneur out there, like what would you tell them? Any type of advice or lessons that you've learned already from your own path? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's okay to feel uncomfortable. I think people think being uncomfortable is not good or they associate it with negative thoughts and I think as an entrepreneur in order to change and grow there has to be a level of being uncomfortable but having the confidence that you know what you're doing and having the confidence that you know how to solve the problem and achieve the goal 
So um, you don't have all the answers. We all wish we did, but um, there's so many resources and so many folks that you can tap to help you get the right answer. And there's so many books and tools and podcasts that you can listen to. Kind of like the world is your oyster. You just have to be smart enough about um, figuring it out. And when you learn and you expand your mind, um, that's really how you grow too as a person. So working with all these different companies, not only am I teaching them and bringing in expertise that they didn't know about and they want in the organization, but um, seeing the insides of a lot of different organizations in parallel, because I work with several different companies at the same time, it really um, expands your mindset and then gives you a really good perspective um, on the marketplace in a very quick amount of time. Yeah. And, and to that point, you mentioned, you know, books or podcasts or anything like that. Are there any particular books, podcasts, audio books, any resources at all that you think would be helpful for you know, aspiring entrepreneurs or anything that's been helpful along kind of your career journey so far? Yeah, um, there's a few. Um, Jen Sincero, there's a, it's a book and there's a podcast. I listen to the podcast, I guess the the audio book, actually. Um, it's called um, You Are a Badass at Money Make, Making Money. And it's just being in the right mindset and being in the right framework to keep trudging forward. And she ta- she's a New York Times bestseller now and it's successful. But she started out just like a normal person, just like us trying to pay her bills. Um, so it was very inspiring and it really elevated the from a mental framework. Um, Susie Moore, I had mentioned earlier, I also read the book, What If It Does Work Out? So turning that doubt into, okay, let's try this and see where it goes. And then I also love listening to um, NPR, How I Built This, um, just to listen to these huge brands like Lululemon that this person started the business, faltered, almost went bankrupt, and then has grown these into huge, like, publication. Everyone needs to start somewhere, and sometimes I think we look around to just see all the success stories. Great to hear the journey you've gotten there. And I think that's really an important mindset, starting out in your career, an important mindset being a business owner and being an entrepreneur that... um, Rome wasn't built in a day. You're great that you're successful overnight, but usually it takes time to get there and just remembering that. Yeah, I think that's very important. Um, And one of the last questions I have is just, what do you think makes for a great career? So you've had the, obviously you had the experience of being at big companies, now you're starting your own thing and had years of experience, but what do you think makes for a great career? I want to continue to learn and grow as a person and professionally. And I think sometimes you get so wrapped up in the money finances, but your your favorite and best jobs may not be the jobs that have paid you enough. And maybe if you're lucky, your best jobs are the ones that have paid you corporate checks. So I think um, continuing to learn, continuing to grow and continuing to expand upon yourself professionally is just so important um, as a person. And then I think 
all of the other stuff that comes with being successful will come as you continue to learn and grow yourself. Yeah, I think it's important. I think it's very important. Where, where can people find you online, hear more about you, work with you? Where should they go? Yeah, so you can check out my website, ssrdigitalgroup.com, and you can also drop me a note, Stacy at ssrdigitalgroup.com, and I'd be happy to chat about my services or talk to anyone about starting their own business and being an entrepreneur. I love also. Feel free to say hi. Thank you so much. I know we had a little technical issue today, but thank you for being a good sport, for coming on the show. It has been a lot of fun, and everyone should definitely check out the website, especially if they have a business or are growing a business. Uh, I think they'd be very helpful considering your your background, and it seems like you're very willing to work with people and, uh, yeah, just have so much knowledge on these different subjects. Thank you so much, Justin. I appreciate your time, and I love being um, on the show, so thank you again for that. All right. Have a great one. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. The show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast. In iTunes, you can leave a rating and review. Just search Just Go Grind or just click on the device. It takes a few seconds. I'd very much so appreciate that. You can support the show over at patreon.com slash justgogrind. Seriously, thank you so much for listening. This has been so much fun. I apologize for the audio in the last 15 minutes or so. We will do better next time. I'll talk to you later.